Welcome to the Rogue O'Tours podcast. Um, it's been a few weeks since we ha- uh, last recorded an episode. Apologize for that. There were some life things that got in the way. Um, but we're excited to be back today um, discussing some of our favorite movies of the year so far. Um, just so you know, we you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, which may be where you are listening right now. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and podcast addict and most of them you can find the rogue O'Tours podcast um i am chad durham i'm jake hampton and uh yeah we we thought it would be fun here in july or about a little over halfway through the year we thought it would be a good time to kind of check in and uh talk about some of our favorite movies thus far in the year now we know that oscar season comes more so in october november december it's true nonetheless there have been a lot of good movies that have been released some that we have uh, really enjoyed. Um, uh, Jake especially has seen a lot of movies, so his his uh, narrowing here to some of his favorites of the year will be especially uh, exciting to listen to. Um, so before we do that, though, we want to talk about just a couple movies that um, we had seen. So I'm, I'm going to have Jake's uh, Jake start. Uh, he very recently saw Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Yeah, so disappointing feels like a strange word because I didn't have that high of expectations going into Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, but I was really excited about the cast because I love pretty much, I I love all four of of those main actors, Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, Zac Efron, and Adam Devine, Devine, I don't know how you say his name, Um, but the, I mean, if you've seen the trailers, the movie is about as good as the trailers, (laughs) Um, maybe a little bit better, like, there were a few laughs, but it was not worth the running time of the movie. I don't think it even broke a hundred minutes and it felt so, so long. Like I couldn't believe how long it felt. Um, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza was my favorite actor in it. Just, she seems to do the most with the material that they were given. She had some funny Aubrey Plaza moments. That's probably when she was the funniest is when she seemed to almost break character. Um, but I, I don't recommend this movie. It's not horrible. But there are so many better things that you could do with your time. Uh, <laughs> it's a comedy, and we've talked before about does a comedy have to be laugh out loud funny to be a good movie? And this one, this kind of movie does need to be laugh out loud funny to be good, and it's not. Yeah, and that makes sense. I I, I was just gonna say like I I I have not seen Mike and Dave need wedding dates, but like Jake, I'm a fan of all all the people. I think I think Zac Efron's a little bit underrated. Um, just because of where he came from, and he's had he's had some rough movies yeah. on his resume, but I think he can be very funny. And you talked about Adam Devine, like he's been great on Modern Family. He was funny. Uh-huh. Uh, Pitch Perfect. He's been funny. Like you know, he he serves the material. Workaholics, right? I think yeah. he's even on Workaholics, he and is. people like him a lot there. And then of course Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza are just. I, I think they both have really good comic timing. And, and Aubrey Plaza will always tw- twist the role in some sort of weird way. And so you can, you can find Jake's review up on rogotours.com. And when I read it, I was, I was disappointed, you know, trusting Jake as a, as a critic, as a reviewer, as a friend. I, I was like, oh, man, like, I really want it. And, 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 and like Jake said, the trailer doesn't necessarily give you grand confidence <laughs> right. that it's going to be hilarious. But I was kind of hoping, you know, they had buried 
some of the best stuff in the movie. Yeah. So it's disappointing in that the actors weren't able to salvage it because mm -hmm. they're good actors. Yeah, that is sad. That is sad. Um, and then just one that I saw, I, I went last night to see Ghostbusters, um, which uh, my review will hopefully be up uh, tomorrow, this weekend, on, on the site, uh, rogotours.com. But uh, I, I must be honest that I, I like the Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 from the 80s. I like Bill Murray. I like Dan Aykroyd. I like Harold Ramis and, and Ernie Hudson. I, I think they're all, they're all great. Um, but I don't hold them in the high esteem a lot of people do. I don't, I don't throw around the word classic with Ghostbusters 1 and 2. But I thought they were funny, and I thought they had some great performances, and I like how they almost, I mean, and maybe I'm being too bombastic here, but like created a genre in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, this, I mean, it was, I think, I think the script, or at least the story idea was Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis originally, just kind of like, hey, let's do this funny thing with our friends. Um, but the movie had some good scares and some kind of fun supernatural stuff. But I, I wasn't worried about the new one uh, with four women at, at the head trampling over some sacred ground. I, I wasn't worried about that. I just went to see. I, I love Melissa McCarthy. I love Kristen Wiig. Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live steals every bit she's ever in. And Leslie Jones, uh, who was, who's been on Saturday Night Live for a little bit uh, shorter of a time, is also very funny. And so I, I thought, man, these, these girls are just, I shouldn't say girls, these women are just really funny. And I know there was a big to-do about them being female, which right. as, I wrote, as I wrote in the review that you'll see, like, seems stupid anyway, but seems especially stupid in 2016. Like, yeah. are we really concerning ourselves with the fact that four women are taking the roles that four men once played over 20 years ago? Right. Like, this, uh, you know, 30 years ago in, in the case of uh, the first one. Um, so I just thought that was weird. And you can tell that the script for the new one goes out of its way, like there are no love interests for any of the four women. Good. You know, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, Chris Hemsworth, by the, who, by the way, is very funny, I thought, in, in Ghostbusters. I'd seen uh, the women on various talk shows uh, praising Chris Hemsworth's kind of like ad-libbing skills and, and uh, you know, comic timing. I talked about that earlier. And uh, he's funny. And I love, he plays this really dumb guy, you know, he's the only, the only guy there and he kind of like screws everything up. And, and some critics have rightly um, lamented that the women aren't necessarily let loose. Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, uh, uh, Leslie Jones, and Kate McKinnon have, uh, you know, sometimes are allowed like in, in some of the R-rated movies to just go off and do these, these crazy things. Sure. But I think they're still very funny. Ultimately, I thought Ghostbusters was funny. There were a few good scary moments, and it's fun to see these four interacting. Like Kate McKinnon is so weird, um, and Leslie Jones, like it, it is sad in some scenes because she is kind of given the like token. Let's see how the black girl reacts. Okay. But she kills those scenes because she's funny. Right. You know, and and Kristen Wiig is uh, somewhat saddled with the straight the straight man role. But they still give her lots of funny stuff. There's a recurring bit about how into Chris Hemsworth she is, which is an obvious bit. I get it, but like she's just really funny doing it, you know. And and the central, the relationship between the four of them is the central thing of the story. And of course, trying to save the world from these, sure. <laughs> these uh, paranormal, supernatural uh, type of things. I I can't imagine someone being disappointed in Ghostbusters unless they already had all these things in their mind about like, mm -hmm. I don't want to see women doing this and stuff, which again, it feels weird to even say that out loud. Like, yeah. 
People are dying all over the world. I know, exactly. There are more important things to worry exactly. about. Exactly. But I would I would highly recommend Ghostbusters if you like the originals. I, I think if you go in with the with the you know the um, perspective of I'm just seeing another thing because it's not a sequel and it's not uh it's not really a remake. I mean it's like a reboot like they say with with Spider-Man and stuff. But it's worth it. They uh, all the the main ladies have uh, some great stuff. And uh, I was really surprised. I want to see Chris Hemsworth do some more, uh, some more comedic stuff. I know he's done mm-hmm. some, like uh, National Lampoon's. What was that remake that they recently did? Vacation. Oh, I didn't know he was in that. Was it Vacation that they redid? I, I think don't so, even with know. Ed Helms, I think. Uh, and he was in that, and I heard he was he was pretty funny. But it was it was good to see him kind of uh, uh, letting loose and uh, an interesting story. And I, I actually thought the effects were really good. I've read some reviews that said they looked cheesy, but I thought they looked fun and cool and there's some great nods to the original even for someone like me who wasn't like intimately familiar with the first two and a lot of fun cameos which again i saw some reviewers kind of rip on the cameos like oh they were obvious oh that i thought they were fun you wait and they kind of space them out through the movie okay and someone just shows up all of a sudden you're like oh and in my in my uh theater last night which granted was was you know the opening night people like clapped or laughed every time like Mm -hmm. oh yeah there's I mean, it's not really a spoiler. They all they all cameo, <laughs> but you know. So there's Bill Murray and there's Dan Aykroyd and there's Ernie Hudson and and Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts. They all show up. They even some, give a cameo somewhat to Harold Ramis who passed away. Um, so yeah, I, I say like if you want to have fun, it's it's fun and and I laughed a lot. So definitely a uh, definitely worth your time if if you're interested. Or is that something? Were you planning to see it probably or? Yeah, I didn't grow up on maybe. Yeah, I didn't grow up on the original, so I don't have that fear of them soiling yeah. my childhood or whatever. Good so. use of soiling. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm excited to see it. It looks funny, and I have an open mind to it. So yeah, I, uh, my family, my sister was saying like, "Oh, we're seeing it just because all these people are weirdly up in arms about oh really the women being it." So I'm definitely going to see it. <laughs> I hope some people do that. Like I hope it makes that money. Alrighty. Anyway, those are just a couple that we've seen that have come out recently. Um, we'll talk at the end about some movies coming out uh, very soon that we're a little bit excited for or at least uh, are curious about. But what we wanted to, for the main, this episode, we wanted to really talk about some of our favorite movies of 2016. And, and what uh, Jake and I did is we just picked five movies um, that we had some strong affinity for this year. It by no means touches on every movie we liked or necessarily the movies that everyone would say were the best of the year. But we picked some categories um, that we just kind of wanted to, um, I don't know, talk about or ca- put these movies into as a way of discussing them with one another. And so uh, I'm just going to start out here and dive right in with one of my favorite movies of this year. And so this one was my favorite comic book movie. And there haven't been that many uh, at the beginning of this year. And so maybe it was just a, a two-horse or three-horse race. But my favorite comic book movie of 2016 thus far on July 15th is Deadpool. And uh, you, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, you know that we, we both enjoyed Civil War. Um, but we also on that same podcast talked about how, uh, I don't know, delightfully un-PC Deadpool was. How it kind of just gleefully sent up all of the... Uh, I don't know, comic book cliches in a lot of ways. Uh, broke the third wall, uh, the fourth wall, the third wall. Broke the fourth <laughs> wall 
Um, and Ryan Reynolds never, never had a role that was so suited to his, you know, comic sensibilities. And 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 I think a lot of the reason that is is because he's he's wanted to play this role for years and and did once in a less than stellar earlier movie, uh, X Men Origins Wolverine. Um, but man, Deadpool, there's just there's something about watching something that just feels like it's there to just entertain you. And, and I love that Deadpool, while playing by a lot of the rules of comic book movies, you know, it had a similar plot sure. in a lot of ways. But at the same time, uh, you know, like, like Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man, except, you know, much more R-rated, just saying like, no, we, wanna, we want people to laugh. And we want people, yeah, we want them to follow the story and root for our guy to do the thing that he wants to do, save the world, get the girl, get, you know, kill the villain or whatever. Um, but with this other, all this other stuff that's just fun and, and, and giving uh, Ryan Reynolds just such a great comic sidekick and TJ Miller, who's just always, I mean, shoot, I'll listen, I listen to him doing the voice in Big Hero 6 all the time and I just think he's really funny. Who is he in that? Uh, he he's the... Fred. Is that the like stoner guy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was him. That's you know, and, and he's in Silicon Valley and, and stuff. Like he's having a little bit of a moment, but they just I mean it's it's just fun, right? I mean I know you were a fan of Deadpool. You wanna add some add anything to Yeah, and I also loved Deadpool. Um it was just so entertaining and funny. It was a fun movie to sit through, which I mean you can listen to me talk all about that in our Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast about how tired I was of superhero movies at the point Deadpool came out and um, but I was excited about Deadpool I was just gonna say I mean there was an implication somewhat in an earlier podcast that it almost reignited for you a little bit a little bit some of that like eh, okay maybe I can do comic book movies yeah no I would say a lot of it and but I and I knew that going into Deadpool I, th I, I mean I thought it was going to be something different and that's why I went to see it um, and that is kind of a segue to a movie I want to talk about, which is the movie that I found to be the most surprisingly fresh of this year so far for me, which was Civil War, which Deadpool kind of geared me up for because I was like, okay, maybe I can finally get on the superhero bandwagon. Um, and Civil War really impressed me by being different from previous superhero films, and it really showed the payoff of all this setup that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has gone through. So we can get to this point where it doesn't have to be this origin, fight the bad guy formula anymore. Nice. And I really loved the pacing. Um, it was very different than other superhero movies. We kind of tore into it on our podcast for being too safe <laughs> yeah. and not shedding enough blood for, <laughs> for being called Civil War. <laughs> but that, that's really my only complaint about that movie, and it does not deter from, from how fresh it felt to me. Yeah. And we started purposefully with Deadpool and Civil War because we know we have discussed them in a previous episode. But I, I like Jake choosing this most surprisingly fresh moniker for Civil War because these two movies, my favorite comic book movie, his movie that he felt was the freshest this year, you know, they really helped to combat superhero fatigue yeah. or comic book fatigue. And I think that's why we were impressed. And that's why they're, they're still on our radar I know Civil War was, you know, just a couple months ago, but I think Deadpool was in February, around Valentine's Day, as I recall. Yeah. Um, but they're still on the radar, you know. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I want to see them again. I, I've seen Deadpool again, and I'm, I'm excited to watch Civil War again. There, uh, you know, I, I think again we, we tore in, uh, we dove into this a lot, but uh, it's good to see good filmmaking. 
yeah. behind some of those. Um, so another movie that I wanted to talk about was probably the strangest movie that I've seen in theaters this year. Um, and I have mentioned this one on a previous podcast as well, which was The Witch. Which, and I didn't really get into this on the horror podcast, but I think it suffered from just weird advertising because I loved the trailer, but it really built up the movie as the scariest thing you'll ever see. And a lot of the, I liked the movie on Facebook before it came out and they were just like, the things they would say about the movie, calling it, you know, completely satanic and the most disturbing thing you'll experience this year. Um, it, they, they built up the scare factor a little much and I think that's why a lot of people I think it worked. A lot of people went to see it, but many of those people came away disappointed because it's so not a traditional horror movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, it, it would fit into the horror genre because it it does play on, on disturbing you and creating suspense, but not in any of the ways that you would expect from that advertising. Um, but it was just so interesting, and I had no idea where the movie was going. It it was unsettling um, and really unique so so it's the strangest movie I've seen this year I recommend that everyone try it but I can't <laughs> not necessarily with a guarantee that you'll like it because <laughs> it's a weird one it and it's it, it's a little difficult to swallow but it's a rare kind of film that I think it's worthwhile to be able to discuss it nice I had another friend as well that recommended it to me uh, after we had talked about it and he and he said some similar things of just like it's hard to even explain yeah or or he didn't want to because he didn't necessarily want to take me too far into the movie Jake and I were talking about this before we started recording today about how trailers uh, give away too much and uh, with a movie like The Witch which I know I haven't seen sometimes knowing very little actually contributes right to your overall enjoyment of the movie um, and I, and I got to admit, like seeing, because I watched the trailer, because it had gotten some hype. It had gotten some hype, like, like Jake mentioned, via social media and even other critics who were like, whoa, this is, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Cool in the way that it's different and, and, and stuff. Um, and yeah, I had really no idea what would unfold in the movie, uh, you know, or even what the witch of the title meant, or why there were goats that they were showing. <laughs> right. You know, like, and so. Uh, any movie that has that, that kind of uh, flavor of uniqueness or, or um, element of strangeness I think is going to be divisive. Yeah. I, I think by its very nature it's going to be divisive. But if you go into it knowing, hey, it's very different. It's going to unsettle me. Right. I may not like it. That's, it kind of opens you up sometimes to be able to accept what's, what's there, I think. Yeah, and shout out to goats. I do now have a fear of them because <laughs> of the witch. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, alrighty, uh, so I wanted to we you know we we looked at the order here and I wanted to go from from Jake mentioning his strangest movie to my favorite script of this year so far, um, and another one that that we've mentioned briefly here on the podcast before, and 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 what I loved about the script of this movie is just even though there were some formulaic elements, I didn't know where it was going and and my favorite script of this year thus far was in the Nice Guys, written and directed by Shane Black. And Shane Black wrote the, the script with Anthony uh, Bagarazzi. And uh, even going back and reading my review, like I just remember feeling like, you know, 
when they sat down and wrote this, they said like, yeah, we know this is Hollywood, but we also just want to let it meander a little bit. We want to let we want to let the characters just do some things that don't necessarily feel like they're on this linear linear path from okay. Here, let me introduce them. Now we have a problem. Now we're trying to figure it out. We figured it out, and then you know, like I'm, I'm making hand gestures that you can't see, but um, you know, the very, the very obvious plot structure, plot diagram that uh, I, te I used to teach sometimes in my high school English class, uh, and I, I felt, I, I love the way it felt unshackled from that to me. And I, I, I mean, I think some people could hear me say this, go and watch it, and think like, well, no, there was formula. Yeah, there was definitely formula in it. You know, like he still, uh, Shane Black still has to make money. He still has producers that he has to answer to. But the, the script, I don't know, it just felt really uh, original to me and, and, and kind of odd in ways that I really dug. And when the movie ended, I thought, like, no, I've, I've learned something. I laughed. I, there was uh, some cynicism in it, but it managed to be cynical with like a, a, a modicum of hap not happiness, but optimism at the end of like hey we it's a, it's a rough world it's a cynical world but not everything is going to suck all the time yeah and and i thought it was a, a really cool tightrope that the script walked as far as um you know we're, we're going to give you a lot of the stuff you want but we're also going to surprise you in ways a movie like this normally doesn't sure and that's why i wanted to give the credit to the script right a lot of great scripts the deadpool script was great you know uh a lot of great scripts this year, but I think the one that sticks out to me is Nice Guys. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect summer movie because it was just so much fun to watch. But not only was it fun, it was a cool cinematic experience as nice. well. Yeah, agreed. Okay, um, jumping from my favorite script, I wanted to talk about uh, the movie that had the most surprisingly good performances to me. This is a movie that um, I didn't necessarily plan to see and you know it's it's very much in 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 the genre formula uh, a tearjerker. It's based on a book. Uh, this is me before you that I'm talking about, and and uh, antith in antithesis to the nice guys, I felt like I knew where it was going almost the whole time. Um, maybe not the exact exact moments things would happen, but I had a sense it was exploring this idea of partially of assisted suicide. Uh, some of you have probably read a lot about it based on a book by, I think her name is Jojo Moyes, or Moyes, um, who also wrote the script, actually, for Me Before You. Um, and so it's about uh, a, a character played by Sam Claflin, or Claflin. Apologies for all the times that we mispronounce people's names on the podcast. Uh, he played Finnick in The Hunger Games. He used to be a very, a very adventurous, uh, very virile young man, and he has an accident, and he, he's paralyzed. Um, and then a woman uh, played by Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. She comes to work kind of like being his, I mean, kind of sort of like a, a nurse, except she doesn't have medical experience. She's just kind of supposed to brighten his day, talk to him, help him out, take him outside, stuff like that. And the movie has a very familiar rhythm. But I was, I was really impressed by both Amelia Clark and Sam uh, Claflin. I'll look it up. Um, I, I, I felt like they could have phoned in their performances and the people who were going to see me before you were going to go see it anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, but I, I thought they were, they imbued it with a surprisingly large amount of emotion. Um, and from what I've been told, I apologize for admitting something embarrassing on the podcast, but I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but I, I, I've heard she's very different in character than she was in Game of Thrones. Um, I always thought 
Sam Claflin as as Finnick was he was fine, and I'm not disparaging his performance, but I never felt like there was a lot of energy to it. Um, I, I liked him fine in the Hunger Games, but didn't feel like he was really you know elevating the work. Sorry, sorry, Sam, you seem awesome. Um, but in Me Before You, like in a role that he could have easily been flat and just let it be flat and not had to worry about it, I thought he really brought it to life. And and the way that the, both the characters are then helped more with kind of that idea of someone in a situation like this, is assisted suicide okay, is it not okay? I felt like I was more invested because like I cared about the two of them. Um, his parents in it are good, the other people are good too. He has a doctor, um, and I apologize, I don't know the actor's name, but uh, there's a doctor who helps him who's also great in the movie. But it really, they, the two of them just anchor the movie. And I came away going like, that was pretty good. I, 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 you know, again, it hits the points you think it's going to hit. But like, for me to come out of that movie caring and, and, and thinking about those characters more, like as if they were real, was a, a real credit for me to both of those, those uh, lead performances. Okay. I haven't seen the movie, but I did participate in a Sunday family dinner discussion about assisted suicide prompted by the movie, so ah. I'll at least respect it for encouraging <laughs> discussion <laughs> difficult issues. Uh, did, did those involved in the discussion, did they enjoy the movie? Yeah, they really liked it, but they felt... They said they loved it until the end, and then they didn't know how to feel, and mm. so we tried to work out their feelings. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I, this wasn't necessarily a part of the discussion because I said it was my most surprisingly good performances, but as Jake uh, kind of implied there, I think any movie that, that makes you confront your feelings on an issue that, while it may not be in your sphere, is something that's, you know, maybe not important to care about, and I apologize, but like, very interesting to think about in case you you know you end up knowing someone you end up talking to someone yeah. like that I think it's important to bring that into your life and say like okay examine this and kind of say like what do I think and why more so why right where, where are these feelings coming from sometimes we have like whatever it may be parental beliefs where they tell us we believe something and we go with it religious beliefs where they tell us we believe something and we go with it and then when we confront something we realize like why am I butting up against that? Is it because I actually, you know, want to butt up against it or because everyone's been telling me to butt up against it? Exactly. And so Me Before You, yeah, is definitely has some other um, positive things that come up. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to backhand compliment Me Before You, but it was very much directed at a certain audience um, and it very much is designed for you to be bawling at the end. My wife and I both cried. Um, but I think I think a lot of that credit goes to uh, Sam Claflin and, and Amelia Clark for for breathing life into characters that uh, they could have easily phoned in. Cool. Well, speaking of performances, <laughs> um, segue. <laughs> I wanted to talk about my favorite young performances this year, which was in a movie I I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, Sing Street. Um, from John Carney. Um, this is the guy who makes the musicals but not that are about <laughs> making music. Um, wow, the kids in that really impressed me. And I think that movie walked an interesting line because it m all of its main characters are kids, but it's not supposed to be a kid's movie, which I think, 
I just always appreciate that because it requires a different kind of acting from those kids than, say, the kids in, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah, or any Disney uh, Channel TV. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and and so, I am disparaging right now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but the, the kids pulled off really adult performances. They portrayed teenagers realistically, but also they made the funny lines funny, and they made this story something that the audience can care about even though it's just a bunch of kids starting a band and I thought the movie did a really good job of of creating nostalgia and um, and really just being a great music lovers movie yeah, yeah. I'm, no I was just gonna say I'm still I'm still sad that I haven't seen it right. sorry carry on well it does come out on DVD and blu-ray on my birthday July 26 so. <laughs> send send uh, Jake presents yes. care of Rogue Tours. yes tweet at me for my address for my care packages <laughs> at Jacob Hampton 26 <laughs> um, no I wanted to bring up I was I actually pulled out my phone my phone is out because I wanted to give another plug for Sing Street even as someone who hasn't seen it um, a friend of mine texted me the other day and he just said Sing Street mic drop <laughs> and and I I said you know I kind of said wait what did you see it and he said yeah I watched it last night and it was great he said it reminded him of me which is cool and he said and I thought you would appreciate it and I told him how jealous I was but I, I wanted to give this shout out to Sing Street Jake was talking about the performances which I'm glad he brought up as we're having this performance discussion because there is an element of acting and I know yes I was disparaging Disney Channel actors and I know a lot of them I, I said earlier I like Zac Efron I, I think he's grown yeah. from one, but there's an element in those performances of we're winking at the audience the whole time mm -hmm. we all know there's a smugness oh pardon me there's a smugness and etc to that to that acting because a lot of people grow up with that that's the kind of child acting they think they need to do so anytime you see performances realistic like you're talking about in a movie that requires a little more subtlety yeah um, it's impressive yeah it sticks out to you like it stuck out to Jake um, but but my friend it's a tribute to Sing Street being a moving movie being a movie that like speaks to people that he felt like he had to get on his phone yeah text me and say like Sing Street man like that was a good movie and it's and it's one that uh, probably the one right now that I'm most sad I haven't seen, which which I mentioned uh, previously, and and even more excited thinking about these these kind of uh, these kid performances. And, and I mean I guess that even sounds like condescending, but <laughs> Jake said favorite young performances, right? Younger people, and and they can't always pull it off. Yeah, you know they can't they they're not always able to give some of the the naturalistic acting that we can see from. People have either been doing it for a longer time or, or are able to access some deeper emotions as a more mature person. So to see that from young people is always kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of young people, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite movie that your you whole family can enjoy. You don't need to tweet at us about our lame segues. <laughs> we're, just, we're just going from movie to movie. <laughs> um, but my favorite family film this year... Not that I've seen a ton of them, um, because I usually go to movies with other people my age. But this is kind of my point, is my favorite family film has been Zootopia because of its appeal to all ages. And there's so much crap entertainment that comes out for kids, you know, that's just colors or, you know, child stars that they identify with, and that, that's all it is. And they just get it out into theaters so that parents will take their kids. But Disney is really changing that. Um, I, I feel comfortable. Now that we've seen Finding Dory and kind of know 
where Pixar is at these days, I feel completely fine saying that Disney animation is on par with Pixar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and part of that is the partnership with Pixar. Right? <laughs> sure, yeah, no. Sure, yeah. No, not, not, no not, not disagreeing with Jake, but just yeah. saying, like, yeah, Pixar kind of stepped in, they made a partnership, and suddenly Disney's movies have been better as well. Yeah. Know? And so Zootopia, if, if, you are, if you are, like, raising a family, if you have kids and you feel like, and you haven't seen Zootopia, like, you're a crazy person. You need to see it right now. <laughs> At Jacob Hampton 26. <laughs> this is Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Zootopia is funny. It takes on important themes without... I didn't think it was too preachy. I don't know what you thought. No, but, no, I didn't at all. I'm really glad this... We might end up... Besides our favorites, which we're going to get to in a minute, we might end up discussing this one more um, than, than any of the previous ones since we know we had touched on a lot of those earlier. And no, I, I didn't think Zootopia was preachy at all. And um, I'm, I, I want to let Jake say some more things too. But the the voice work, first of all, Jennifer Goodwin and Jason Bateman, who I would listen to read the phone book, is great. <laughs> J.K. Simmons, Jenny Slate, yeah, um, is great as the mayor's uh, assist, put upon assistant. Um, and I think I I appreciate this as Jake's favorite family film of the year even more because the first time I saw it, I thought it was good, solid, well done. But then the second time I saw it, I thought, oh, wow, this is even better than I remembered. Yeah. And, and I think it, it dealt with some thorny issues about stereotypes, about race, in a way that like was easy enough and simple enough for kids to understand, where they simplified some small parts, but kept a lot of the complexity that, that allowed adults to also go like, oh, yeah, like you're not, you're not making this so obvious. You're not spoon-feeding sure. the little kids. But you're allowing them in, and I thought that was impressive. Yeah, I loved it. Great performances, um, great universe. It, it felt like we were saying it felt very much like a Pixar movie in that it just felt it was this big world that fully realized. Yeah, fully realized exactly, and very funny, also very affecting. It's just it's a perfect family film. I don't yeah. know if it gets much better than Zootopia. Yeah, and that I mean I, I really attribute to what Jake talked about before and what we touched on in our Pixar podcast about. Disney really, really uh, coming back into the fray yeah. after a little while of maybe fading. Not that they didn't have some good movies, but fading a little bit and basically ceding the animation spotlight to Pixar. And and now, I mean, I, I uh, Jake and I here unequivocally thought Zootopia was better than Finding Dory. I, I, for me, I don't even think it was really a no. toss-up. It yeah. was uh, Zootopia is better. Sure. Um, and I know Finding Dory was a sequel, and they had some things to deal with, and I and you know. We've talked about the Alzheimer's thing, etc. But, but Zootopia, yeah, just uh, still fun, even in dealing with a lot of those really, really complex and subtle issues. Uh, a lot of fun, um, clever climax, I thought. Um, and again, I just want to plug Jason Bateman because I think his voice has this kind of laconicness that that's great, and and he. He can be both incredibly sarcastic and incredibly sincere. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Jason Bateman's, and I thought he, he and Jennifer Goodwin as the two main characters were, were especially good, had a good little chemistry. Yeah. My kids have been watching it over and over in the car, and I'm not tired of it, and that's, a big, that's a big tribute. You know, I'll hear a line and be like, oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> you know? yeah. It has a few little fun you know, nods to modern society with people getting these apps that they're playing and stuff, just little little small gags that that are Pixar like in yeah. their in the way they both land and are just kind of there to amuse you. So yeah, definitely. Definitely a big big thumbs up if we were 
Ebert and Roper or Siskel and Ebert, <laughs> or Siskel and Ebert from years ago. Big thumbs up from both of us and, and my family for that matter. Um, all right, uh, segueing from Zootopia, which is a lot of fun, I wanted to talk about the movie I had the most fun watching this year thus far. And this, is a, this was a heated category and why I saved it for right before my favorite so far. Because I've already talked about Deadpool, The Nice Guys, Jake talked about Zootopia, and we talked about Civil War. These are all fun movies. Yeah. Movies that have this element of summerness to them, even though Deadpool came out a long time ago. But of, of hey, we want the, the people in the seats to just have a lot of fun. Um, so this a, a, a big shout out, and you can find my review. Uh, you can find Jake's review of Zootopia on RogoTours.com, as well as my review of this this movie, which is Everybody Wants Some from Richard Linklater. Um, Jake and I talked before before we recorded too about how uh, it's been called a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, and how it's kind of like if those characters picked up a little while later, what might they be doing? But it shares none of the same characters. Um, I don't think it shares any of the same actors, though I, obviously I could be wrong about that. Um, and it's it's not necessarily going to move you. It's not necessarily deep, but I just think it's a lot of fun with some great performances. Uh, it's about uh, a guy played by Blake Jenner, uh, who's also in... Um, Glee. Is that the main guy? Or no? Uh, yes. Because he's in Glee. Yes, he was on Glee. Yeah. And, and he's in a movie coming out called Edge of Seventeen with uh, Haley Steinfeld. A kind of a, a John Hughes uh, type movie. I think we'll post the trailer on Rogo Tours uh, in the next couple of days. Um, but Blake Jenner's great. He's kind of this everyman. I mean, he's very attractive, and he has a really easy chemistry. But he's surrounded by all these these fun actors. Glenn Powell especially was just hilarious and very realistic. And and it's just like a day in the life, or a, it's not a day in the life, but a few days in the life of these guys. Blake Jenner just goes to college. They're all on the baseball team. Um, Richard Linklater is famous for this, having done Boyhood and Dazed and Confused and the Before uh, Before S Sunrise trilogy that we've mentioned briefly before. He does this thing so well of like, I just kind of want you to spend some time with these, these some time with these characters. And you know what? It's not necessarily at the end gonna be gonna follow really any plot. Um, it's not necessarily gonna say I took X lesson away from it. Um, you, I mean, you're not even going to necessarily say to yourself, like, I now understand life so much better. But it's it's always so fascinating peering into the lives of these characters. And in Everybody Wants Them, more than any of the other movies that I mentioned, there's also this element of just joy, of just so much fun. These guys are, they're silly, they're pranking each other. Um, they are, I mean, a lot of, Everybody Wants Them, it, it is implied in the title that it's talking about a lot of different things, sex being one of them, but also everybody kind of wants, you know, someone to count on, and everybody wants happiness, and everybody wants et cetera, et cetera. And, and there's just such a love and a lust for life in these characters that I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine after I saw this. I had also just recently seen my favorite movie that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and we were talking about how it's so hard to grade on our website when we when we grade the movies talk to Jake about this too um, being able to say like oh this movie's an A and this movie's an A when movies are so different and the movie I'm gonna talk about as my favorite was was a lot more intense uh, it was a lot more um, complex but man I just felt so 
happy and I was just smiling leaving everybody wants some and I felt like like you know what I know these guys maybe I haven't gone through the same experience as them but there were elements of it even though I had a very different college experience than a lot of them there were elements of oh yeah that reminds me of my friend this guy or that reminds me of a moment when I was in college um, and so I just was and it's out on DVD now just very recently came out um, I'm excited to have my my wife watch it but it's just I don't know it's just uh, it's it's a smile the whole time. Good. I'm ashamed I haven't seen it because I'm ashamed how little Richard Linklater I've seen because I'm already feeling like Boyhood is more, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and didn't he do School of Rock? He did School of Rock. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the extent of my Richard Linklater experience, so i got to get on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, we'll probably do a podcast sometime in the future examining some of his career, and we'll, Jake and I will take that opportunity to catch up on some of his old stuff. But yeah, School of Rock, even going way back, was an indication of the way he elevates material. Yeah, um, That movie could have been ex- extremely formulaic, but with him and Jack Black combining, they also made Bernie together, by the way, which is also a, a kind of fun fun movie that based on some, some real life things. But yeah, he has, he has a really intelligent sensibility, uh, Richard Linklater, and he, and he trusts his audience. He said, you know what, I don't have to have an, a neat wrapped, uh, all wrapped in a bow lesson here. And I don't need there to be the big game or the big problem. Like, I, we're going to show these guys interacting, and I'm going to trust the audience to care about that and be interested in that and have fun with that. And I, I happen to have a lot of fun with everybody wants them. Alrighty. So we, we saved the best for last, if you want to say that. Uh, Jake and I both want to mention our most favorite movie most favorite that's a really terrible sentence especially for an English teacher our favorite movies of the year so far um, I, I think both of which we wrote about on on the site so you can read our full print reviews on on rogotours.com we'd love to hear any feedback by the way we'd always love to hear some feedback we've gotten some via Twitter and Facebook and comments on the site please don't hesitate to tweet at us or at rogotours.com I'm at cdurham99 I've already mentioned Jake's a couple times today, um, but my favorite movie of the year so far uh, was Eye in the Sky, and Eye in the Sky was a a kind of a tough movie to watch in a lot of ways um, about drone killing, about the collateral damage that comes, uh, and especially in an instance when we can have people not doing the killing. It was directed by Gavin Hood from a, a screenplay by a guy named Guy Hibbert. Features some great performances, um, especially from Helen Mirren, one of my favorite favorite actresses as far as just always hitting it out of the park. Uh, Aaron Paul from, from Breaking Bad, and a lot of other supporting performances that I'm not naming right now. Uh, uh, very realistic. And, and I think what I liked is it, it, I, it could have been soapboxy. It could have been like, I have an agenda and I want you to believe what I believe about drone killing or about casualties of war. And I felt like I Am the Sky was too savvy for that. The whole time it was, let's examine the way humans deal with this very, very messy situation. And it turned the screws or up the tension slowly and very well as it kind of set up the situation, let you know who was all involved, who was gonna be metaphorically pulling the trigger, who was gonna be making the call, the various nations who had to kind of say like, yes, you can make this drone strike or no, you can't. Um, it, was, it was kind of documentary-like in some ways, in, in some scenes. 
and even at the end was was very willing to be ambiguous was very willing to say we don't have the answers a lot of time you watch a lot of times you watch a hollywood movie and the point is some writer or director saying like i want you to believe what i believe and that's not always true but that happens a lot yeah. like i'm gonna let you know that you're wrong if you don't agree with me and let me show you through this fictional scenario and and for me i in the sky was never guilty of that it was always like we don't know you know and i'm not saying that the end necessarily doesn't take a side you could probably read it in different ways depending on what you know about uh, guy hibbert who wrote the script or gavin hood but i felt like it was so fair and it was so like you're i was unsettled at the end but not necessarily because terrible things happened but because we talked about me before you and examining things like it ended i'm like i don't i don't know what i think it's like you have to deal with every situation on a case-by-case -case basis which is our world right but i but i was kind of invigorated by that like uh man like there's there the moral grayness that we have to uh, confront every day yeah. because we're caring human beings generally speaking we deal with a lot of atrocity in our world especially recently jake jake referenced that earlier it's been a lot of unspeakable atrocities lately and and i in the sky kind of was saying like there's no way to break our world down into black and white which again would be something that i think some people would come out of eye in the sky and say to themselves like well, I don't like that. I want you to make it like it's black and white and it's easy. Yeah. That's sometimes why people go to the movies, right? Sure. Is to be able to come out and say, everything's okay. <laughs> the good yeah. thing's going to happen every time and everyone's going to be all right. And Eye in the Sky forces you to say, like, that's very rarely true. Yeah. That's very rarely true. Um, and and I really liked that. I liked I – li even now I look back and think about the characters and I just, I just don't know what I would have done in some of their cases. And that's, you know, unsettling in a much different way than The Witch, but nevertheless, a little bit unsettling. Sure. Saying like, Ooh, you know what, you know, why can't life just be the easy choice every time? Yeah. And I think, it, I, and I think it's, it's worth watching it. it. It flies by in its running time, even though it's a lot of people uh, talking in rooms. Um, and, it, and it does invite you to examine the, the various human beings affected by a decision like this and that it's not just this person in the room or even the people that you're killing with the drone or even the politicians who are saying yes or no. Um, I, I liked it. It was almost play-like in that way. Right. So definitely, I'd highly recommend it if, if you have the chance to see it. Again, it's Eye in the Sky, my favorite movie thus far that I hope maybe can play into the Oscars a little bit. I don't think it will be... I don't think it will get multiple Oscar nominations, but even if it sneaks in for like a script nomination or even some of Helen Mirren, or it was one of Alan Rickman's last movies and he's great in it, and Barkhad Abdi from uh, Captain Phillips oh. um, plays this kind of like uh, cool uh, spy, for lack of a better word. He's not a spy, but that's the best word, uh, operative. Okay. An operative who has to do some kind of interesting and, and kind of, you know, again, uh, messy, messy things to try to help them get the outcome that they want. Um, uh, a big fan, big fan of Eye in the Sky. Well, you've sold me. I haven't even seen as much of a as a trailer for Eye in the Sky, so um, I want to see it now. Yeah, and it I, is on DVD. Just very recently, okay. just like everybody wants some. I was just in the store the other day. Like, Ooh, Eye in the Sky. It was maybe a month ago that it came out on DVD. So if you if you can and you're interested, uh, go check that out. Tweet at us and let us know what you thought. Comment or whatever. 
And now uh, Jake's going to dive in with his. Yeah, and you set it up well because my favorite movie of the year so far is also very play-like. And it is 10 Cloverfield Lane, which you have or haven't seen? I haven't. So oh, Jake man. and I are both on the other side, which I also saw at the store and was like, oh my gosh, I got to see 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Jake needs to explain, but I had multiple friends tell me you gotta see. Yeah, and now I have to stay spoiler free, <laughs> which I wasn't gonna do for the listeners, <laughs> only for Chad. Just kidding. Um, wow, <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like I said, it's very play-like. Um, oh gosh, it's such a difficult movie to talk about without spoiling. A significant portion of the movie takes place in one location. I feel like that's not too spoilery. Yeah, no, no. Um, very diplomatic. <laughs> Which requires a very uh, strong script, and it, it definitely has one. Um, this was Damien Chazelle, right? Uh, he no? was involved. In, yes, he was definitely involved in it. I just read that the other day. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. So Damien Chazelle, who wrote Whiplash and who has La La Land coming out, the yeah. trailer's up on our site, was one of the credited writers. Yeah, talk about someone to watch. Yeah. Um, man, and he got great actors. I mean, I don't know who, who chose the casting, but... Um, John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, John Gallagher Jr., all probably the best performance I've seen from any of them. I mean, at least up there with, uh, with their best performances. Um, very gripping, engaging story. The tension builds, and you feel stuck in this location with these characters. Um, I mean, for those who don't know, all, all I'll say about the plot of 10 Cloverfield Lane is that uh, a woman is in a car accident, and then she wakes up in a bunker. Um, with two other men who say that it's not safe to leave. And that's really all you should know going into it. Um, it is a, um, we used the phrase spiritual sequel earlier. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield, um, which is a found footage monster movie from 2008. I think, but even if you just know that Cloverfield is a found footage monster movie from 2008, that's all you need to know going into 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I wish we could talk about the ending because it's very divisive among people and I think it's really interesting to talk about why. But I, I would recommend um, watching or at the very least researching Cloverfield um, before this movie and see how it impacts your perception of the ending. But it's very suspenseful and it's just right up my alley. I love this kind of stuff. Um, one well, and Jake and I, as you know, if you've listened regularly to any of our our podcast episodes, um, we subscribe to the theory that any movie or even any fiction or nonfiction, for that matter, that invites you to discuss, invites you to think, invites you to examine, is good fiction, right? Yeah. And even if it's not necessarily inviting you to examine something you see in the real world per se, and I had heard that about Ted Cloverfield Lane that the ending is like, whoa, and it's gonna you're gonna wanna talk about it, you're gonna wanna think about it. You may not know immediately what you think about it. Right? Yeah. And, and that's what I've heard. Or three months later, however long it's been. <laughs> Whatever it is, just to throw a random number. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I still don't know if I feel like they abused the Cloverfield name or I don't know if it was completely genius to call it 10 Cloverfield Lane. And if, once you see the movie, these kind of questions will make sense. But it it spurs great discussion. So please Yeah, that's that. good. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, obviously this comes comes back to Jake and I even doing this podcast, the Rogo Tours podcast, is we like to sit down, we like to chat about stuff, we like to hopefully inspire each other to like go check a movie out or or whatever, and hopefully sometimes we can inspire you to go check a movie out. There will there will be a lot of great stuff 
it's been a good year for movies, I feel like, and there'll be a lot of great stuff in the second half of the year, and it'll be stuff that'll end up dominating the Oscar conversation. But here were just 10 movies that we felt were definitely worth your time. They were worth our time, even if it's just going to be you in the end saying, well, I didn't like it, but here's what I got out of it. Or I'm not sure what I think, but it's sparking discussion with my family, with my friends, with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend, with my wife, kids, whatever it is, you know, and, and the, they were just some movies that really, you know, impressed us in, in this first half of 2016. And, uh, so if you do see any of them and you hadn't before, you've already seen them, please start a discussion with us. We'd love that. If you see Ghostbusters, which, uh, came out last night slash today, let us know if you felt like there was any, you know, I didn't, I rarely even thought about the fact that it was, you know, the four, the four female Ghostbusters. What a, what a silly thing to occupy your mind. Um, anyway, and, uh, but before we close, we did want to just briefly talk about, I think, three, three quick movies that we're at least interested in. Uh, we'll try not to take, you know, take too long with each of these, but um, coming out on the 22nd, I believe, yes, of July is Star Trek Beyond. Jake, did you have an opinion on the previous two oh of the gosh. rebooted Star Treks? More shame coming right now. Yeah. I've never seen anything Star Trek related. Oh, nice. But I want to watch the the two reboot movies right. before. J.J. Abrams, right? Yeah, I love J.J. So yeah. Um, I'm. I mean, I'm interested in this one based on the trailers, yeah. and I I haven't avoided the previous two. I just sure. haven't seen them. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So That's I plan on it. Justin Lin who's done some Fast and Furious stuff, and I think directed uh, one of my favorite episodes of Community. Um, the uh, the uh, paintball episode, I'm pretty certain, yeah, called Modern Warfare in 2010. If you're a Community fan, uh, one of the best sitcom episodes of all time, the send-up of action movie cliches. Um, that is uh, Justin Lin. He's also directed some episodes of True Detective and... Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six. Um, he directed all of those. Kind of an interesting director to bring to Star Trek yeah. Beyond, especially it, it just seems more more action oriented, you know, necessarily than than J.J. Abrams. I've seen some just some initial stuff of people saying that this one definitely ranks up there with the first two of the rebooted Star Treks. Yeah, definitely interested. Um, and what's your what are your thoughts or or opinions on Jason Bourne? Coming out in a couple weeks. Oh man, I I can't even remember if I've seen all the previous ones. Like that's how long it's been. I've seen some of some of them, I think. So I'm gonna have to rewatch those. But I like the trailer for the new one, and I'm yeah. I'm down for it. Nice. I uh I I hold the Bourne trilogy, the original trilogy, in high esteem, and and was of the opinion they didn't need to make anymore. Um, and so I will be coming in with a very kind of measured approach, very controlled to like okay. It's Paul Greengrass again, who who directed the the last two, uh, the Born uh, Supremacy and the Born Ultimatum. Um, obviously, there was the Jeremy Renner one, the Born Legacy. Yeah, I did between. see that in theaters, but I didn't yeah. like it. Yeah, it's, is that okay? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, I liked it fine, but it wasn't as good as any of the previous three. And so I'm interested, but I'm also I don't want you to sully the good name of not you, Jake, but the people making it of the Born trilogy. Uh, and then uh, a new drama from the guys, the directors of Catfish, Henry Joost and uh, Shulman. Uh, I forget Ariel his first Shulman? name. Yes, Ariel Shulman, called Nerve. What are, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, I think it looks real interesting. Um, the concept is people play a game on their phones where, is it other people tell them to do things? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, kind of dare them. Yeah, 
I mean, I'm always intrigued by really high concept stuff like that, but really high concept stuff like that often disappoints me. Yeah. Um, and we it just falls to... through. And... Yeah. Yeah, we were saying that it gives away a lot in the trailer. Yeah. If you watch the trailer, it feels like you're watching almost all of the movie. And, and I don't like that personally. Yeah, I like that they're trying to intrigue me, but I would rather them intrigue me with the kind of the initial concept as, a, as opposed to, let me walk you through the whole thing because I don't trust my concept enough. Yeah. I want you to know there are these like four or five twists or turns later on that you didn't see coming. <laughs> like it would have been better for me to discover that in the, in the theater. Right. But it does have this, this kind of air or flavor of, you know, let's talk about what social media does. Let's talk about the way people interact with it and is it damaging. And I think that's interesting. Sure, right? yeah. It invites us hopefully to discuss. Yeah, yeah. I think the concept alone was enough to get me in the theater, but we'll see if it, if it delivers. Yeah, hopefully we can talk about that one in, in the future or write about it. Um, but thank you for listening. Again, Rogo Tours podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Podcast Attic, and probably most of the podcast things that you can find. Um, we'd love it if you listen, tell your friends to listen. Um, and then uh, hit us up on Twitter, comment at RogoTours, at CDurham99, uh, or at JacobHampton26. Um, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for listening.